reading God's word for us this morning and so thankful for uh, the grace of God in our life, aren't you? And uh, Thanks for praying too that we would uh, embrace and love the things of, of God and not the things of the earth, that we all struggle with that. So uh, he gives us Jesus to empower us to do so. Well, at this moment, we want to dismiss our children that would like to go uh, to children's worship up through the fifth grade. Um, <clears throat> you can be dismissed now. Miss Alex has a sign today. We're missing quite a few kids today. They're at children, a lot of them went to the children's retreat. Um, uh, and four of our adults, I think 12 of our children were, uh, went to the children's retreat. And I think they're having a great time. I've got some pictures and saw my wife all painted up with... Uh, Paintball, it's all over, paintballs splattered on her shirt and stuff like that. And uh, look, they're having a good time. One of our kids got caught on, uh, stuck on the zip line because they weren't heavy enough to make it all the way. I think that, <laughs> I think that was actually my kid. <laughs> um, <coughs> so uh, it looked like they were having lots and lots of fun. And I know they had great, great time in the Word as well. Well, uh, for the rest of us left in here this morning, uh, I encourage you to take... Um, your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Or your copy of the Word of God, whatever that might be. And we're going to continue our series this morning in the book of Acts, uh, the mission of God. And this morning, Lord willing, we're going to be covering verses 10 through 22. We're actually going to back up a little bit and pick back up where we left off um, when we were in Acts a couple weeks ago. And the title of this message this morning is The Conversion of Saul, Part 2. I know you and, and, and subtitle, Transformation. All right? Uh, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to do what only he can do. Lord, we do come to you and we ask that you would do um, the work that uh, you have promised through your word. Lord, that you would change us from the inside out. Lord, you would convict us. You would convert. Uh, Lord, you would encourage. You would exhort. Uh, Lord, that you would make us more like your son. And Lord, for this we are at your mercy to do so. Lord, we uh, ask you to enlighten our minds and um, empower our wills uh, to love you more as a result of being in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, let me give, give a little confession about my TV watching, okay? I'm going to a little confession this morning. Here's my confession about my TV watching. It's very sporadic, all right? What do I mean by that? Well, there's no show um, on any day or any week that I watch every time it comes on. And let me tell you why. If you have six children from 4 to 17, your schedule never allows for that, all right? Even if there was a show that I wanted to do that with, it never allows for that because our schedule is just different every single day. And so, and every single week even, it changes. So there's no show that I can just sit down and watch even if I wanted to. Um, but one of the things I do enjoy watching when I get a chance to, to watch some TV outside of watching um, some sports, but is... Some of these shows, it's like on the History Channel or um, Discovery Channel, is where they take these old cars, they find these cars, and they bring them into the shop, and you got all these different ones, you know, and um, that they do, but they bring them in and, and, and they basically transform them, or they, they restore them, all right? Well, some of them, uh, they, with, with these cars, they uh, do a quick flip. So they get a car, they see it has value. It's not in great shape. There's some things wrong with it. But they feel, feel if they can just clean it up a little bit, maybe just get it running, that they can turn it for a profit. 
All right, so with that, they do, they do this, basically clean it up, and they <clears throat> sometimes it hasn't run for a while, so they'll pull off the head or whatever. They'll squirt some stuff down in there and lube it up a little bit, put it back on there, and then they have this thing called a carburetor. All right, some of you young people don't remember what a carburetor is, okay? You've never seen one, but they have this carburetor on there that's important. The gas goes through that and it allows the gas and air to come into the engine, all this kind of stuff. And just, but, but they put this carburetor back on, they squirt, they just squirt some gasoline. Don't ever do that, but that's what they do, right? Because a lot of times it'll produce a flame if there's a problem and, 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 and they get it running, you know? Now it's running and they clean it all up and they may buff it a little bit, but it's got some rust and stuff like that and they, they flip it and they make some money. Um, but then the, the, the problem is that if there's any major underlying issues with the car, they will resurface. That's what happens if you don't get to the heart of things when it comes to cars. And, and whether it be the engine, the transmission, or the body, the heart of what makes a car a car has not been addressed. The engine is just going. There's no engine guarantee it may keep going. Maybe the transmission is just going and the car moves, but maybe there's no guarantee that it will keep going because it's not new. And the problem is with that is it would keep acting just like what it is. A bucket of rust with a bad engine. Well, however, there's many cars that they take, they take in, they bring it in the shop, and they take out the old engine. They take the whole engine out. They take the drivetrain, the transmission, everything out. They take the suspension out, and they replace everything with brand new. Brand new, all right? Everything underneath the car, everything that makes the car run. If there's rust, they don't just sand it, put a little Bondo on it. Some of you all remember Bondo, right? That's what I did when my first car had a dent and it. it had a little rust, so we just little, shaped a little Bondo in there and sanded it down and painted it. And For a while, nobody knew what it was, and I sold that car. I'm, I'm sure that that rust has come back now. But they cut it out. They replace it with new metal. And, and then after they've done all this, then they put a nice paint job on it, and the car really looks good on the outside. But, but the issue is, is they've got to the heart of the issue with the car. What makes a car a car has now been changed. It's not the same old with a little, little, little gasoline or a little oil to make it maybe run a little bit better than it did. It's brand new. Everything in the car is brand new. And I enjoy watching those things. It's just this total transformation from the inside out. And in a much more important way, though, in a much greater way, the Lord does a total transformation in the lives of those who are made right through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And not only does He forgive us of all of our sins and, and, and declare us not guilty, but He transforms us from the inside out. He gives us a new heart. He doesn't just fix the old heart. Hear that? He gives us a brand new heart. It's not the same heart. He gives us a new one. This is the promise of the new covenant um, that Jesus ushered in. And I'll give you a couple places in the Old Testament speak about that. In Ezekiel 36, 26-27, look what it says. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And with the coming of Jesus, who brought in the new covenant, the fulfillment of the new covenant, we get a new heart. Also in Jeremiah 31, it says here 33 through 34, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all will know me. For the least of them, to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Notice that he will write it on our heart. It's an inside job, all right, if you will. He does an inside job, and he rips out all the old, and he puts in the new. He doesn't just come along and clean it up a little bit. He gives us something brand new. You see, the Lord does not merely reform us using the same materials. He doesn't do that. Instead, he totally transforms us by giving us a brand new heart. And that new heart comes with new desires and new power that we never had before. This is why it's called, listen, the new birth. The new birth. Those who are made right with God through trusting in Jesus' payment for their sin are not just the same old person with a new paint job. They are a brand new person with a brand new heart. And Paul stresses this and summarizes it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Oops, sorry. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And just, just for you who want to know this, sometimes I'll bring up the tenses and stuff like that in, in, in these verses. The, the old has passed away is an aorist tense, which means past tense in, in English. And behold, new things have come is in the perfect tense. Past action, completed action, with the resulting state of being. Never to be changed. We're completely different. We're a new creature, a new creation, your translation may say. Not the same old with a little bit of shine. And this is exactly what happened to Paul in his conversion, which we started studying a couple weeks ago. He was transformed on the inside. Would this transformation on the inside have any impact on the life of Saul? What do you think? Think it would have any kind of impact in his life? Would it change the way that he thought? Would it change... His desires, would it change his speech? Would it change his behavior? Behavior? Yes. It would change all those things in Saul. Anyone who has been transformed by God and given a new heart will be changed. And there will be evidence of that change. Think about this. If you get a brand new heart and the God, listen, God, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in you. Do you think something might change so people would notice and you might notice? And see, people argue about this all the time. And there's no argument because that's what the scripture teaches. For someone to know the Lord and have no change in their life at all. Now, I'm not not measuring. I'm not being a a fruit inspector in the sense of, okay, you've got to have this much. But the scripture says what? You'll know them by their, help me, fruit. There's going to be some, even if it's just this little old grape. I think it'll probably be more than that eventually. But maybe just start off with a little old grape. There's evidence that God lives inside of you. There's got to be. And that's what happens in Saul's life. And that's that's the pattern throughout all the New Testament. He changes us. So that we look and we are being transformed and being conformed more and more to the image of his son. Well, let's now look at chapter 9 and continue to study this this transformation that takes part or takes place in the life of Saul. Now, we're going to look here at the, 
some more of chapter 9. We're not going to finish chapter 9 this morning. And I want us to notice again this transformation that takes place. And I'm going to point out seven characteristics of those who have been transformed by the, the Lord. At least that are in this passage. It's not the only characteristics. There's other characteristics. But there's seven that are clear and probably ten. But I didn't have time for that ten this morning. So we're, we're skimming a little bit, alright? But seven at least um, that... Uh, Characteristics of those who have been transformed by the Lord. So last time, uh, we did verses 1 through 9. And we saw how the hunter, Saul, became the hunted. Remember, Saul had been given permission by the Jewish officials to come to Damascus to basically ravage the church of Damascus like he did in Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Damascus to take care of some of this, the people of the way, which was an insult that they said it, but it was actually a compliment to those who are Christians who called we are, the, we are people of the way because we understand that Jesus is the way and the only way. But he, here he comes and, and he's he, he, on his way to Damascus to hunt down followers of Jesus. Saul gets hunted down by Jesus. I love that. Just him flipping the table, turning the table on Saul. Jesus cha- changed his enemy, Saul, into his follower. Jesus struck him blind. And look there in verse 3, beginning in verse 3. Let me read this, uh, a few verses again for us. In verse 3 down through verse 5. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am <clears throat> Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, we'll go down through verse 6, and enter the city. And we told you what you must do. Notice there in verse 6 that, that, that Jesus told Saul to get up and enter Damascus where he would be told what to do. Now, now look at verse 8 uh, down through verse 9. Look what Saul does. So Saul got up from the ground and through his, and through it, though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Jesus said to go to Damascus. And what did Saul do? He got up and he went to Damascus. Now he had to have some help. And it's interesting, the people that were with him, they didn't see anything, they just heard something. But it was dramatic enough that when Saul said, hey, we need to go to Damascus, that they were willing to lead him to Damascus. But he goes. Right? He, he goes. And before this encounter that he has with Jesus, um, before he's transformed, uh, listen to this, Saul was large and in charge. You know what I mean? He was the Lord of his life. He was the master of his life. He was the captain of his ship. And he let everybody know it. His life showed that. But now, there's a new master in his life. There's a new Lord in his life. So what does Saul do in response to his new Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ? He submits to him. He submits to his new Lord. Now, this is the first characteristic in this passage of Scripture of those who are being, have been transformed by the Lord. Transformation results in submission to the Lord. Transformation results in submission to the Lord. Saul submitted to the, the new and perfect Lord in his life. He understands that he's no longer the boss. There's a, there's a new boss in his life. He, he may not understand all that having Jesus as Lord will bring, but he does understand at least that Jesus is Lord. And in fact, we know he doesn't understand all that it will bring into his life. But he does understand now he does have a new master. Uh, he, he will not do this submission thing perfectly throughout his life. 
It's not going to happen. In fact, we, we see it from his writings. He admits, I don't do this submission thing perfectly. But he understands that now he has a new master. And there's a desire and there's a willingness to submit to the things of God. In fact, in Romans 7, one of those times, if you ever read Romans 7, you think, okay, was Paul schizophrenic? Oh, I, 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 I want to do this, and, but I do this sometimes, but I want to do this, and sometimes I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I'm back and forth, and there's just a struggle, and this battle going on in Paul, who was, used to be Saul. Um, we'll, we'll get his name changed here a little bit later, but he has this battle going on, and as he's struggling with this, he doesn't always do what he wants to do, and this struggle with sin. Look what he says in Romans 7:22. I love this. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. He says, even though sometimes I don't submit, Deep down, I want to submit. I still want to submit. Because when he doesn't submit, he's convicted. And it doesn't feel good. It's not right. He understands this is not what I'm created to do. But deep, it's because deep down, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I want to do what's right. I want to do what's right. There's this new desire. A desire to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Transformation results in submission to the Lord. Now let's read uh, verses 10 through 16 of our passage here this morning. Now there was a d disciple at the Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire the house of Judas for, for a, man named Tar from, a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come, and, come, come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And, there he has, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So here we see the Lord prepare Ananias to meet Saul. And obviously, uh, the, the word had arrived at Damascus that Saul was coming. And they understood what, had, what Saul had been doing. It says that he had, what he had done to the saints, all right, how much harm he had done to the saints at Jerusalem. Let me just throw you out there. What is he talk, who's he talking about the saints? So it's like St. Saint, Saint Peter and St. Thomas and St. so-and-so. Saints is just another word. It's a synonym. And maybe you've never heard this. All through scripture is a synonym for Christians. It means holy ones. There's no special class of Christians that are saints. If you're one of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been transformed the inside out. Listen. You're a saint. You are a saint. You got that saint Greg? You're a saint. Saint Tyler. Alright. You got that? Saint. Saint Melissa. You're a saint. And don't let anybody ever tell you anything else. That's your identity. We don't have time to go into all that again. Alright. But that's who you are. So he's calling the saints. He says he did this to the Christians. In Jerusalem, he's coming to do the same thing to those in Damascus. Did Ananias have reason for concern? You bet he did. And I can't even imagine what went all through his head. We don't have it all recorded here. What went through his head. Um, I, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine, but I can't imagine all of it. Let's put it that way. But the Lord assures him that he's in control, meaning the Lord's in control, and he has transformed this guy named Saul just like he had done to Ananias. He's a new man. And, and, and surely, I don't know if Ananias thought this, but I, I know I think this. I was just like Saul. 
I was in rebellion to God. I was an enemy of God. And you're thinking, man, you were terrible, Brian. And you were too. You're in rebellion to God. You're an enemy of God. Separated from Him. We're just like Saul. And Ananias, I think, understood that. And when God said, hold on, this is not the same old Saul. This is a new Saul. It's a new Saul. And I've got something for him. And I want you to be used in his life to begin that new life, that new call I have on his life. See, verse 11, 17 tells us that then that Ananias submitted to the Lord's instruction and he goes and he finds Saul. Uh, verse 9, if you look back up there, it says that Saul had been in Damascus for three days. All right, he didn't eat anything, he didn't drink anything, couldn't see, but he was there for three days. Now look back with me at verse 11, which tells us what Saul was doing, at least part of what he was doing for those three days in Damascus. And it says there in verse 11, the Lord said, get up and go to the street called Straight. And by the way, there's still a street called Straight in Damascus. Here's the, 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 this is another thing that shows the scripture is true. It doesn't make up stuff. There's a street called Straight in Damascus. And inquire of the house of Judas for a man named Tar, from man from Tarsus named Saul. What does it say? For he is praying. He's praying. So part of what he was doing for these three days he's in Damascus is he is praying. And here we see the second characteristic in this passage at least of those who have been transformed by the Lord. Transformation results in fellowship with the Lord. We find Saul praying to the Lord. And it says he didn't eat or drink. I'm not sure what else he could have been doing. We know he's praying and it's probably pretty intense prayer. The one who had hated the Lord Jesus is now having having fellowship with the Father because of Jesus. Everything has changed in his life. Fellowship with the Lord through prayer is a characteristic of one who has been transformed by the Lord. When you're in a relationship with someone, you desire to have fellowship with them, right? Think about this, guys. If you don't talk to your wife, how's the fellowship going? Not real good. And if you love your wife... You will speak to your wife. You will talk with your wife. And vice versa, ladies, you'll talk to your husband. Although sometimes it's hard to get him to talk. I understand that. All right? But when there's, a, when there's a relationship there, there's a desire for fellowship. And if you say that you love each other, you'll desire to have fellowship. You'll communicate. Not perfectly, and we're all growing in that, but there's a, there's a desire to have fellowship. And here, Saul's life has been transformed from the inside out, and now he desires to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it's evident by the fact that he's praying in Damascus. Now look at verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, Go, he is, my chosen, instrument, he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Here we see a, the third characteristics in this, in this passage of those who are transformed by the Lord. Transformation results in a calling by the Lord. The Lord was calling Saul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That was the specific call uh, on his life, and we see that as we will read through and study through the rest of Acts. That's what happens. We got a little more interaction with Peter, but after that, it's all about Saul taking the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. That was the call on his life. That's what God had, had let Ananias know, that I, I'm going to use this man uh, to get the gospel to the Gentiles. We have 13 letters in our New Testament written by Paul, who was Saul, okay? And some of those two churches, some of those two individuals who were in churches, and guess what was common about all the churches? They were Gentiles. 
Gentile churches, churches that he had been a part of helping plant. And he, he writes to them. So he, he's fulfilling his call, and we'll see that throughout the rest of his life. And if you're here this morning, and you've been transformed by the Lord through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You have a calling too. And your calling is just as important as Saul's was. Just as important. It's part of God's plan to fulfill the mission of the church, which is to take the gospel to the nations. So that one day every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will stand before him and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We just sung that this morning. And your calling is just as important as his. You've got to believe that. You've got to know that. It is. A calling to take the gospel to those the Lord has placed in front of you. I remember hearing a guy say this one time and because we had the, he was giving Jesus as the example of going to people and fulfilling your ministry, fulfilling your calling. He said, he said this, Jesus always ministered to the people in front of him. He always ministered. As he went, he ministered to the people in front of him. Often we get, okay, what's my calling? And we're walking past people all the time. That's, that's your calling right there. The people you're around, the people that God has sovereignly placed you in front of, that's your calling. We don't make it complicated. The people that are around you, your family, that's your calling. Your neighbors, that's your calling. Your friends, that's your calling. Your, your workplace, that's your calling. Your, 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 your classmates, that's your calling. Your, your, your teammates, that's your calling. We can't make it hard, but we do, don't we? Okay, what's my calling? And, and the whole time we're walking past people. And as Jesus ministered as he went, he was on a mission, but he didn't neglect the people around him. That was his calling to bring, uh, to be the savior of those who needed saving, which was all those around him. So let me encourage you to, to understand, just like Saul had a calling, if you've been transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a calling too. And you're called to go to those who are in front of you. Now let's look at verses 17 through 20. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like, um, uh, like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with his disciples who, uh, who were at Damascus. Let's, let's, let's stop right there, verse 19. We'll come back to 20 in a second. I noticed the, notice the mention here of Saul being filled with the Holy Spirit. So sure enough, Ananias goes. He finds Saul. He says, the Lord told me to come to you. And he sent me to, you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit was active in Saul's life already. He couldn't have gotten to this point if the Holy Spirit wasn't already active in his life. He was active in, in convicting him of his sin. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come and convict the world of sin and righteousness. He was, in, in, in that way, he was active in Saul's life. He was also um, active in convincing him that Jesus was Lord. Jesus was Lord. He was also active in bringing new birth or a new heart to the life of Saul. And he was also active in the sense that he indwelt him just as he indwells all believers the Holy Spirit does and the filling of the Holy Spirit here is speaking about the Holy Spirit empowering him for the ministry to which he had been called 
He'd been, he was, he'd been, in some ways, it was like a, a we would call it an ordination service. I mean, we're not necessarily called to do what happened here, but in some ways, it was a setting apart. It was a, a time that, that, that Saul could remember that this is the time that God set me apart, reminded me that I had his Holy Spirit, and he was calling me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the fourth characteristic in this passage of those who have been transformed by the Lord. Transformation results in power from the Lord. All who have been transformed by the Lord, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, had the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, living inside of them. And they are called daily to draw on his power. Uh, and we learn this, and I bring this verse up a lot because it's so clear in Ephesians 5.18, speaking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or debauchery or reckless living. But be filled with the Spirit. And most of you all can probably tell me what this means because I've said it so many times. But it's very important that we understand this. What happened here in Saul's life, he's being empowered now to do the very thing that God called him to do. And he, and he is writing this to the church of Ephesus to explain to them, how can you daily be empowered to do what God has called you to do? And what happens right after Ephesians 5.18 is he goes through this whole list about what it looks like to be a spirit-filled husband, what it looks like to be a spirit-filled wife, what it looks like to be a spirit-filled child, or spirit-filled parents, spirit-filled masters, spirit-filled slaves. This is what it looks like. And, and it, it makes a difference in your life. It empowers you to do those things that God has called you to do. So what, do, what does this mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it's, um, first of all, it's, a, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's a command to be filled with the Spirit. We're called to be filled with the Spirit. It's also a present imperative. Meaning we're daily to be called to be filled with the Spirit. Alright, what does it mean to be filled? It means to be controlled. Just like the wine or the alcohol controls someone, the Spirit is to control us. So we're commanded to daily, actually moment by moment, to be filled, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. All of us are called to do that. To be filled and keep being filled. It's also, this is interesting, passive. How can a command that's present also be passive? Well, it means we're not the one doing it to ourselves. Someone else is doing it to us. We're passive in the sense in the filling process. It's God's responsibility to keep giving us more and more power. Right? God the Holy Spirit is giving us more and more power. We're to submit to that in our life. To submit to his control in our life. And we do that. There's a parallel passage in Colossians. Uh, it, it says to let the word of God richly dwell within you. It's a synonym to being filled with the spirit. So as we allow the word of God to richly dwell within us. The spirit controls our life. I was just talking with someone this morning. that's memorizing a bunch of scripture. Way more than I'm memorizing right now. And, and, and just knowing that what's happening in that person's life is, is the more and more they do that, the more and more they'll be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. And here's what happened with Paul. As he was filled with the Spirit, he was given the power to carry out the impossible task to take the gospel to the nations. It was impossible what God was called him to do in and of himself. But it wasn't impossible with God. And whatever your calling is, wherever God has called you, you're thinking, hey, you don't know this person I'm trying to reach out to. I mean, they're really bad. I mean, they're like right up there with Saul. Well, you know what? I've got a God that took care of that Saul, and he can take care of the Saul you're dealing with too. And he can do it through you by empowering you with the Spirit on a daily basis to accomplish the mission, the calling that he's given you. Isn't that good news? 
I think that's why the, you know, the gospel means, the word means good news, but, but, but Paul also calls it the glorious gospel of our blessed God. He was like, how much can I put around this gospel? It's even better than just good news. This is amazing news. It's amazing news that not only just saves us from the penalty of our sins, but he's saving us from the power of sin daily, empowers us to accomplish what he's called us to. Also notice what Paul did in verse 18. Immediately, uh, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight and got up and he was baptized. After receiving back his physical sight, which is a picture now of having received spiritual sight, all right, it's a great picture of that, he's baptized. Obviously, Ananias, one or two things to say this way, obviously, probably, um, or at least one of the possibilities is Ananias had instructed him about baptism. That once you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, all right, one of the very first acts of obedience, one of the very first things you do is you're baptized. After you're converted, after you're transformed, you're baptized. Or maybe Saul, because we know um, Saul was a little bit upset about all these Christians growing up all over the place. Right? He was there to see Stephen stone because he's so upset about it. He's ravaging the church, it says. He's done much harm to the church. He's probably seen some of these Christian baptisms going on or heard about them. Uh, one way or the other, the Lord somehow got the instruction that, that Saul, as a follower of me now, one of the first things you need to do is you need to obey me and be baptized. You be baptized. And this is the fifth characteristics in this, in this passage of those who have been transformed by the Lord. Transform, transformation results in obedience to the Lord. Baptism is one of the initial acts of obedience that we do when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the beginning of a life desiring to obey the Lord. Now listen to this. Now that, that, that statement there, transformation results in obedience to the Lord. That is not a blanket statement. That doesn't mean we always obey. So please don't hear that. Alright, that the, the standard is perfect obedience. Or we're not a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But I'll tell you what. There should be evidence of obedience, right? Amen. All of a sudden, okay, he's my Lord. He's done this for me. He's transformed my life. Okay, Lord, what do I need to do? And one of the first things that happens is life, he's baptized. And you see a life then that's more explained by obedience than disobedience with Saul. You see that he doesn't become sinless, but he sins less in his life. And that's what happens is the, the Holy Spirit uh, continues to, to take care of the flesh part of us. Our heart's brand new. There's nothing wrong with our heart. We got a brand new heart. The heart's not the issue. The flesh is. And we'll battle the flesh all the way to the grave. But the heart's brand new. And it wasn't Saul. And he wanted to obey the Lord. So remember what we've said many times around here. It's direction, not perfection. But we have a desire to obey, and we obey more as we go on. Now, we can go through life's difficulties, and sometimes we obey less than more. But there's a pattern of growing in obedience, and you see that in the life of Saul. Now, notice what Saul did in the second half of verse 19. <clears throat> now, for several days, he was with disciples who were at Damascus. He was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Here we see the sixth characteristic in this passage of those who have been transformed by the Lord. Transformation results in fellowship with the Lord's people. He was with them. I love that. He was with them. A desire to be with others who have been transformed by God's grace is, a natu is natural for one who is transformed. We want to be around those people. Because they understand what has happened to us because it's happened to them. This is what he did while he was in Damascus. 
Uh, he originally, let's think about this. He originally came to hurt them. Now he loves them. In 1 John 3.14, we see this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. That's evidence. The characteristic of those who have been transformed. You, you love the brethren. Now, do we sometimes have trouble loving each other? Yes, we do. But in general, we love each other. We, we love those who have been transformed just like we have. I think another passage in, in Ephesians, I don't, I'm going to encourage you to turn there. In Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, with me, instead of bringing it up here on the board, I want you to see this. In Ephesians, First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 3, and, and, and Paul is praying, saying, I'm praying this to the Father for you in verse 14. If you look there in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name, and he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man, listen to this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may filled up, be filled up to the filled up to all the fullness of God. Do you, hear, do you hear what I emphasize there? With all the saints. With all the saints. When we've been transformed, we want to have fellowship with the Lord's people. And one of the results of having fellowship with the Lord's people is that we understand the love of Christ in a greater way. That we can't by ourselves. And I've said this many times before. There's, there, there's no lone ranger Christians in the Bible. It's not go be by yourself. Go hole up in a cave somewhere and get right and, and, and just have a relationship with God. No. Those who've been transformed by his grace, he calls us to have a relationship with other people, and in that we benefit. What a blessing. Now look at verses 20 through 22. And immediately he he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who is in Jerusalem destroyed those he, he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who, had, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Here we see the seventh characteristic in this passage of those who have been transformed by the Lord. Transformation results in proclamation of the Lord. That's what it results in. Saul went about doing what all followers of Jesus do, telling others how they too can be transformed by placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he did. He, his transformed life was so evident um, w w w w that people took notice. Wasn't this the guy trying to kill everybody? My goodness, what happened to him? And guess what? Saul told him. We talk about this all the time. The gospel is a proclamation ministry. It can't just be, that's part of it, our lives need to be transformed, but a transformed life needs to be explained to those who don't know. They're just wondering, hey, what happened? I mean, this guy's trying to kill people, now he's not. That's pretty, it's pretty, pretty radical. And if Saul just kept on going and saying, well, that is pretty cool, see ya. Is that what he does? No. Because his transformed life could not tell them how their life could be transformed. He had to open up his mouth and speak the words so they could understand how they could be made right with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we too, yes, our lives have been transformed. There will be evidence in our life that we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're going to come to the point where we're going to have to say something about it or people can't know. We have to speak the gospel for them too to be transformed. How will they hear, as it says in Romans, without a preacher? And that does not mean someone, that doesn't mean me. That means all of us, proclaimers of the, Lord, uh, the Lord's work and the Lord's gospel. Well, so what? So what? I mean, it's obvious that Paul, Saul's life was completely transformed. And you see early evidence in his life here with, around his conversion. And you see that evidence throughout his life. Did he struggle with sin? You bet he did, as all Christians do. All those have been transformed by his grace. But he was transformed, and there was something new about him. And, and just to remind us here, transformation results in submission to the Lord. Has transformation resulted in submission in your life? Transformation results in fellowship with the Lord. Is there a desire to have fellowship with the Lord? Is there a desire to, to go to him in prayer and to cry out to him? Transformation results in a calling by the Lord. All of us have been called. All of us have been called to do the work of the ministry. How's that going? Transformation results in power from the Lord. Great news. Although he's called us to an impossible task, I'm telling you, it's impossible. He's also given us the power to accomplish the task to which he's called us. Transformation results in obedience to the Lord. Is there a desire to obey the Lord? Perfection, no. But direction? Are you seeking to obey the Lord more and more? And when you don't, is there conviction? Does the Lord bring discipline in your life when you don't obey? We need to ask those questions. Transformation results in fellowship with the Lord's people. Do you love being around God's people? That's evidence that God's working in our life, that we've been transformed. We want to be around those who also have been transformed. And transformation results in proclamation of the Lord. Are we taking the gospel to the people that God has put in front of us? Are we explaining to them how we were transformed so that they too can be transformed? Now some people get uncomfortable while challenging professing followers of Jesus to examine their lives to see if there's any characteristics of transformation. And if you're one of those people, I'm sorry, but that's exactly what happens throughout the New Testament is that God empowered writers to write to churches who were struggling and who had people in their churches who were not believers. And it's evident all through the New Testament. First John, they went out from us because they were not really of us. There were people in the body there that John's writing to and saying there, is people in, there are people that were there with you. They look just like you. They sit on the same pew with you. They dress just like you. They brought their Bible with them. And yet when push came to shove, they showed themselves not to truly be transformed because they were playing a game. And it was all intellectual, whatever it might be. That's what happens throughout the New Testament. They were challenged, and that's a good thing. In fact, Saul, who became Paul, near the end of the second letter to the church of Corinth, writes this. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail the test. Now, listen, I said this throughout this. I was trying to be as clear as I possibly can. It doesn't, it's, we're not talking about perfection and all these things. We don't always submit. We, 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 we don't always um, have the fellowship we should with the Lord. We don't always obey. We don't always uh, um, call on the power um, 
and to fulfill our calling from the Lord. We, we don't always proclaim. We don't always have fellowship with the Lord's people. But in general, those should be all things that we desire in our life. Because now God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. Now, if there's no evidence of any of those things in your life, you ought to go, whoa, maybe I haven't been transformed. Now listen, I did not say you're not transformed. Did you hear me say that? Anybody say that? Alright, you got to be real careful because people, oh, we can't. Hey, listen, I believe in the security believer stronger than anybody in here probably because the Bible teaches it. But you better be a believer to be secure. You got to be transformed. You got to be brand new. God had to take out the transmission and the engine and put a whole new heart in you. And there'll be evidence that had happened. When you turn the key, it'll start up. It'll start moving. Now, you may, God's going to be making an adjustment on those things all the rest of your life. But there'll be signs of life, right? So I want us to be honest with ourselves, examine ourselves just like Paul calls us to. To examine ourselves. And in those areas that we know we're weak in, say, Lord, I need to grow. I need your help to grow in this area. I, I, need, I need your help to, to make me more like Jesus. I'm calling out to you. Help me, please. Aren't you, got, aren't you all so glad that God is an answerer of prayer? He answers our prayer. And He transforms us more and more in the image of His Son through Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I didn't even think I had any evidence. I didn't, there's no transformation in my life and I know it. Now, you don't have to convince me I need to examine my life. I know. And that's very possible this morning. So here's what I would say. Just like Saul, right now you're, you're living as your Lord, own Lord and Master and you are going to come before God one day and you're going to say, God, he's gonna, you're going to say, God, this is what I got to bring. And no matter what you have to bring, it won't be enough because his standard is 100%. He calls us to glorify him in everything, 100% of the time. And if we don't, we've fallen short of his glory. We've sinned and fallen short of his glory is what it says in the Bible. And the wages of the payment or the consequences of that sin is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Rightly so, because we don't meet a standard. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sin, so that we might be forgiven and be transformed and made new and given a new heart. But here's the issue. We have to do something. We got to quit trusting in ourselves and our own good works and quit being our own Lord, quit serving our own desires, quit saying, I'm the boss, and saying, you're the boss. Now, I don't understand all that means right now, God. But I'm saying, no longer am I trusting in me. No longer am I trusting in me to make myself right with you. I'm trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone to make me right with you. And if you haven't done that this morning, my prayer is that you would do that. Amen. Cry out to God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Transform me. Transform. I'm trusting in Jesus to make me right with you. And if you've done that already, keep crying out to Him. God, keep conforming me more and more in the image of your Son. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the privilege we have to be in your word. And Lord, thank you that you are about transformation, not just reformation. Uh, Lord, that you want to make us new, that you do make us new through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that each of us would examine our hearts. We would see, Lord, the areas that you are transforming, the areas that need more transforming, and we would cry out to you to keep transforming us and making us more like Jesus. And, for, for, Lord, for those of us who there's no evidence you're working in our life, that um, we have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to make us right with you, would I pray that you would open their hearts, that they too 
might be transformed and they would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.